Welcome to RetroTube, the podcast in which Heather and Adam introduce each other to crumbly old TV shows from the distant past and then mull them over, hopefully out loud. This week, Heather embarked on an unauthorised and unilateral viewing of one of the key texts of archived television. And so to keep the format pure, we're having an emergency podcast to find out her thoughts on Sapphire and Steel. Sapphire and Steel ran for four seasons, comprising of six individual stories, or assignments, between 1979 and 1982. Broadcast on ITV, the show was a bewildering ratings hit in every sense of the word. But Heather, was this a series you'd encountered before? It was not, and as you say, this this is slightly different to every show we've done before. I have been, as you know, a massive fan of David McCallum pretty much all my life. And it wasn't as Ilya Kuryakin that I discovered him. Oh, no, 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 no. I first fell in love with David McCallum when I was seven years old and they brought out a live-action version of Cluedo and he played Professor Plum. It ran for two series and it was a little whodunit thing every week. I think the episodes are available on YouTube somewhere. But yeah, in one of the series... David McCallum played Professor Plum, and I just loved him so much, instantly. He does have some lovely floppy hair, doesn't he? He has amazing hair. Um, in fact, to the extent that even now, if ever I play Cluedo, I, oh, I have always had to be Professor Plum, like, before anybody says anything. While everybody else is fighting over being Miss Scarlet, <laughs> I always have to be Professor Plum, and it's because of David <laughs> McCallum. So I've, I've loved him all my life. And I have wanted to see Sapphire and Steel for years and years and years, but as far as I am aware, it's never been released on DVD, and I have looked for it, and I've never found it. And then when it was released on BritBox... There was no holding you back. Well, no, there was no holding me back, except that I, did, I didn't I did watch it for a little while, because I'd heard it was quite scary, and you know what a wimp I am. So I was kind of having a bit of an internal wrangling, like, is David McCallum going to make this any less scary, because he's got amazing hair? And in the end, I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to watch it anyway. And as soon as I started watching it... There were like huge vibes of Children of the Stones in the first assignment. <laughs> and I was like, this is, this has got Adam S. Leslie written all over it. This is his kind of show. But then I thought, well, maybe it isn't because, you know, The Prisoner. And so I texted you and I was like, is is this one of yours? Because I've started watching it and, and I love it and I need to see all of the episodes, but I don't want to watch any more if it is one of yours because we can do it as an episode. And it turns out it is one of yours. It is sort of. I mean, it, it's it's my era. I wouldn't say it's necessarily one of my favourite shows as such. It's not one I watched at the time. It's one I knew... I think, actually, I didn't... I was going to say I knew it by reputation, but I don't even think I did. I think I had it conflated in my mind with Dempsey and Makepeace. I think oh. I sort of saw it as one of these boring adult dramas. Oh, it's certainly not that. That I didn't really want to watch when I was eight. Um, but it, no, it's certainly not Dempsey and Makepeace, that's for sure. <laughs> it's not really that. It's kind of like a spy show in time. So it's kind of one of mine. Yes, it, it's kind of midway between us, really, isn't yes, it? Yes, it's like, it's like if, if, you, if you combine all of our tastes sapphire and steel is the result yes it has the casting the grumpiness and the impenetrability of one of your shows and the weird hauntological creepiness of one of my shows yes so we're right bang in the middle here so this is almost like a joint episode 
it kind of is, yeah. <laughs> but you can you can have it. It's fine. I'll have it. Yeah, I'll take it. So you watched on your own assignment one, which is a bit different from the others because it, they they changed it a little after that. But for the purpose of the podcast, we then both went away and watched assignment four. The man with no face. The man with no face. Your favourite sort of thing. Oh God! Don't even. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> uh, like with the Paul Daniels episode, you're a little bit traumatised currently, aren't you? <laughs> I am so traumatised. I'm t- I'm terrified. This has been sort of like a phobia of mine all, again all my life. I'm terrified of masks. I'm terrified of gloves. So living in a, the time of a pandemic is really not great for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been terrified since last March of everybody simultaneously um but in this particular episode the man has no face there's a man with no face adam and it's scary he has no face and i don't like it and it's very scary even as as floppy as david mccallum's hair is and as tight as his shirt is (laughs) i'm still terrified he is not distracting enough to stop me from being scared. No, he he doesn't make it more reassuring. He's because he's so incredibly stern. He's so grumpy. So so grumpy. This is this is like Ilya Kuryakin to the power of N. He's so <laughs> grumpy. I've never seen him grumpier. So, would you like to tell us a little bit about the premise of the show as a whole? Right. Well, from what I gather, Sapphire and Steel are agents of some sort of Agency isn't really the word that I'm looking for, but they are, they are kind of time and space spies, really. And we don't really know the name of the agency that they work for, but their job is to stop time from breaking through the time barrier because there are all kinds of nasty little monsters and goblins and things that live in the corridors of time. And sometimes they poke their little heads into modern times. Yeah, they're they're trying to prevent time hernias. And they cause havoc. And so it's Sapphire and Steel's job to find them and to uh, send them back to where they came from. That sounds a lot more fun than it actually is. Not saying it's not good, but fun isn't the word one would readily associate with Sapphire and Steel. I didn't really have a great deal of fun, I'm not going to lie to you. (laughs) No. So by rights, this should be an Obscurio, but it's really, really not. This was a huge smash on itv and i can't even my tiny brain can't fathom itv putting out a program like this this is itv is the channel of light entertainment and lightweight comedy dramas so thinking back to a time 40 years ago when they would be putting out the most experimental deliberately obscure fantasy drama you can imagine Mm. it doesn't quite compute does it this is itv this should be like bbc2 or something it's kind of a supernatural horror spy thriller, mm. which, as as a genre, very niche. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> and I think it would be very easy to say that, oh, TV wouldn't do anything like this these days. Certainly ITV wouldn't. I could imagine Netflix doing something, Netflix would do something of this like ilk. It. Obviously not like this because this is very much of its era and just mm. TV like this, of this kind of pacing and this kind of plotting style isn't made anymore. But you could... Imagine Netflix doing a, a rather pretzely, mysterious investigation series like this involving cracks in time and all that kind of thing. So I'm not going to go down that route. But I do think it's a shame for channels like ITV, who did do some interesting stuff, and they did Children of the Stones as well. 
that they seem to have gone down the model of ironing everything to the extent that everything they make pleases a lot of people a bit, rather than doing anything that might prove divisive and exciting and groundbreaking. At times with this kind of thing, they were the alternate channel. Yeah, they were. The BBC probably wouldn't have done Sapphire and Steel because it would have been too obtuse. So yes, uh, we looked at assignment four. Tell us a bit about the premise for this particular adventure. Okay, well, uh... hmm. (laughs) I mean, I think that sums it up. Well, (laughs) uh, basically, there are children who are playing in and around this old junk shop and they have been taken out of photographs, out of really old photographs from like the late Victorian, early Edwardian sort of era. My first note is instant creepy. Just add sepia kids chanting nursery rhymes. <laughs> yeah, I, I did wonder what, what was the first instance in film and television in which nursery rhymes were used to be creepy. Because that's definitely a big trope. I know, it's just... That you still see to this day. It's just horrible. Children skipping rhymes are are, are like one of the creepiest things imaginable. And there has to be a point at which a creative person in film or television decided, wow, if we do them, if we we have kids chanting Ring a Ring of Roses, that's going to be the creepiest thing you could possibly imagine. So this this is probably quite an early example of that. I can't stand children as it is, to be fair. (laughs) Uh, they they just need to sort of exist for me to find them creepy and intimidating and rather scary. But uh, no, this is just a whole new level. And the children are there and so is an older person, like an adult. Not like old, old, just... Sometimes old, old, yeah. Sometimes quite old, but not old, old, old. And he as we find out, is I think probably if we're going to use the terminology of sort of fairy tale mythological characters, he will probably be a sprite. Right, okay. Who was trapped in the first photograph ever taken and since then has managed to permeate his way into every single photograph ever taken. And he has been let out of photographs and into the real world. Yes. Which has made things quite weird in that junk shop. (laughs) It really has. Yes, that's that's what happens. That's that's yeah, the whole plot in, in a nutshell. I think what's interesting about Sapphire and Steel in particular is that it looks and feels like a science fiction show and the opening titles give you a really good idea that this is going to be a science fiction show. But it's not a science fiction show. It's about magic. And there is zero science in this, or zero attempt at any kind of science, despite yeah. you know, use of the words like transuranic elements and that kind of thing. It's all about magic. And everything in it is involved with magic and the supernatural. And I think one of the hallmarks of magic versus science fiction is the idea of an object inherently being what its use is if that makes sense i will explain because it probably doesn't please do because it doesn't (laughs) so in the first assignment i think they have clocks and clocks because we use clocks to tell the time in this they are inherently linked 
to time itself because they are clocks. So in the real world, we know that clocks are just tools. We use them to tell the time, but actually in their construction, they're no different from, say, a wind-up toy or a music box or that kind of thing. It has a certain mechanism inside, and the thing we use it for is just for counting out numbers at a, on, a, you know, on a regular yes. cycle. Whereas in magic, a clock is more than just an object with a mechanism inside. It is inherently the thing that it is designed to be. So it is inherently woven into the concept of time. Yes, I see what you mean. I see what you mean now that you've said that. So in this one, we have photographs. So in the real world and in science fiction and that kind of thing, in any kind of rational type of fiction, a photograph, everyone knows it's just an image. It's like the painting, this is not a pipe. Mm. The things in the image aren't the things. It's just a chemical-based light-based reproduction of a a visual thing but there's no actual link to the items in the photograph whereas in sapphire and steel because this is magic people can live inside the photograph and inside the space that has been photographed and the children these victorian edwardian children can be brought out of the photograph into the real world so you could do this in science fiction but it would be a computer who's mapping the image and then making its own reconstruction whereas in this because it's magic they're actually bringing the children out of the photograph so they disappear from the photograph which is really nicely creepy and it's quite a a spooky image that there's suddenly a space where the child used to be and they're now, now outside roaming in the real world we're dealing entirely with magic and alchemy and that kind of thing yes well i get it i get it now and i think that's maybe reflected in the opening titles because one of the big criticisms or maybe not criticism but a thing that people like to point out and I shall point it out as well because I don't like to disappoint the opening titles appears to be listing elements but sapphire and steel neither of them are elements nor is jet Uh, silver is lead is gold is so some of them mentioned are elements but you could say that this is an error or you could imagine it's more of an alchemical thing. I think it probably is more of a that. Despite the smart suit that David McCallum is wearing. Lovely suits. I was a, I was an especial fan of Joanna Lumley's dress in this in this assignment. It was very floaty. And I do like that, and it's obvious, I do like though that she always wears blue. Because yes, she's and, and David McCallum always wears grey. Yeah, he's always got his grey suit his on. His tie is very steel grey. And we, do, unfortunately, in this one, we didn't get to see any of the other other elements. So no, I know we got to see. I, I we got. I got to see Led in uh, assignment one, and I loved him. And it's a shame, apparently, he was only in those three episodes, but he was just great. Even in a mysterious pan-dimensional time repair agency made up of supernatural immortals, uh, people still bitch about their colleagues. Well, when you say people. Yeah. Steal bitches about his colleagues. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How about, oh, they're lazy and sit around doing nothing. I imagine, I imagine them having a staff room and they're just sitting in the staff room all day drinking tea. We should have been here earlier, before things happen, before things break through. Someone should be here waiting. That's impossible. It's not at all impossible. There aren't enough of us. There are more than enough of us. Well, who would volunteer? Volunteer? Yes, simply to sit and wait. Maybe for hundreds of Earth years. Would you? Well, there are those of us who are very good at sitting about and doing nothing. They do it non-stop. Everything makes him angry. Um, 
I love that. I love that so much about him. I can totally see why you like David McCallum. He's really good at doing grumpy. He hates all his colleagues. He hates Sapphire, but he hates her the least. He hates her the least, and they do occasionally exchange a grin. They do a little bit, yes. Which is the closest to sexual tension that this show gets. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's fine by me. His raging contempt for Sapphire is only about seven. And she's she's cool enough that she can take it. She's very cool. So anyway, this episode, it has more Victorian urchins than the Paul Stone adaptation. I really like watching the... Because I think probably the first 10 or 15 minutes is just Sapphire and Steel exploring the space, picking up objects, discussing the environment. And I really like that. And I generally like New Doctor Who, but this is one of the criticisms I have of it. Or not a criticism even, but it's just a personal preference that I miss that time one takes at the beginning of a story rather than just leaping in with instant frenetic action just like being in space soaking it up getting used to this new environment and i think there's this idea that people the audiences these days don't have patience yeah for that sort of slow moving thing but actually horror movies mostly still have that kind of pace in the first third at least is generally very slow moving and atmospheric and building up the tension and people will sit through those. So I, I think it's it's possibly a, a little bit of a misbegotten notion. I think so. It's nice to get it's nice to just get a few moments of the characters interacting so that we can see their relationship rather than just presume what their relationship is. Yes, definitely. It makes them more accessible. Even even Steele, who is inscrutable and grumpy, we get to see who he really is when he's interacting with with sapphire because he is he's more himself i think because he's got no he's got no patience for other people but she kind of seems to have a way of getting him to care about things i think it's really important and it makes you feel more like you belong in the story and that you can be friends with the characters because you know who they are and not having that makes you care less about the show, about the story, about whatever whatever media it is that you're consuming. Yes, or or even trying to use drama and conflict to get the characters across, which does work as well, but it also it's harder to warm to the characters if you're doing it through bickering or conflict or that kind of thing, whereas if you just spend a bit of time allowing them to interact in a natural way or just in a business-like way as they're doing here because they're not people and they're they're not human beings, so they're not chatting, but you're still getting an idea of their chemistry and the way they work together and their personalities and that kind of thing. And often people uh, will criticise older shows when there's padding, when there's not enough plot to fill out the story to four episodes or whatever it is, and there's padding. But often I like the padding the best because it is just an opportunity to relax with the characters and to to watch actors you like doing things. Absolutely. To heck with the plot. Yeah, sometimes if it's only plot, then that kind of detracts from the story. Mm, I think so. You need to have the light and shade, don't you? I think there's definitely two types of storytelling. I think there's plot-driven storytelling where everything happens to move the plot forward. And I think there's process-driven storytelling where the plot is just a framework in order to hang the story on and essentially just allow the characters to do stuff for our entertainment. Yeah. And I often say that, like, for example, the original Star Wars film is process-driven because in a plot-driven film you wouldn't bung them into a trash compactor for seven minutes and just 
watch them try and get out of it because it's it doesn't move the story on at all it completely yeah. the story grinds to a halt or the plot grinds to a halt while they're down there absolutely but it's exciting and it's fun to watch and it's a set piece and it adds tension and it's memorable and you learn more about the characters and it's funny and it's everything so it's great to have it and i think in a more plot driven film like the newer star wars which are very entertaining in their own way but it is more about just getting a to b to c to d like quickly 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 moving everything forward and getting us to the end point as, as efficiently as we can this is now a cross between a second-hand bargain shop and a pawnbroker's there's nothing new here no a room full of triggers thousands of them could be any one of them no Time has broken through, hasn't it? Yes. So they're wandering around the shop having a natter, and then Sapphire is uh, attacked by a collective of sentient umbrellas. Yes. While Steel is thrown into a photograph. It's not necessarily the most effective special effect, but I can imagine that had I seen it as a child, it would, as an image, it would have really stuck with me. It's definitely the kind of thing that's very distinctive and memorable. Yes. Uh, and you wouldn't have. Yeah, if you if you watch it when you're seven or eight, you would have thought it looked naff. You'd have just seen Joanna Lumley being attacked by umbrellas that are, are cawing like crows. I swear to God, if I had seen this at the age of seven or eight, I would still not have slept. I'm 37, and I am going to have to sleep with all of the lights in the flat <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> for the rest of my life. That was it. The time break, that was part of it. And you said it wasn't part of I this room. I said it didn't come from here, it didn't start here. It's simply using things from here as part of its game. It? The child, or what appeared to be a child. I do like the um, Victorian children, I, uh, and I think it's just a lighting effect, but the way they're made to look sepia-toned is really clever, it's really effective, and I think it's just the way I they're like lit. I like that, yeah, I like that. Touch. They do look very flat and that kind of brownish sepia colour. They do seem like they have come from a photograph rather than they're not ghosts or they haven't been, they're not time travellers or anything like that. Well, another thing I thought is that the dialogue, it makes a virtue of having zero subtext, pretty much. It really does. So there's nothing in there that doesn't need to be said. And the actors get subtext out of text with zero subtext, if that makes sense. It's the ultimate procedural. They're just exchanging information and they're saying... Someone isn't too bothered about opening their mail. Mr. H. Williamson. H. Williamson, Esquire. H. Williamson. How far back do they go? Several months. No food, no provisions. Whoever he is, he appears to live here above his shop. He appears to sleep here, but he doesn't eat and he doesn't read his mail. He reads books, though. There are more here on the same subject. Because they're two of the best actors working at that time, they're able to really bring it to life, whereas I think possibly less skilled or less charismatic actors, it would be quite tedious. It's such functional dialogue. In fact, I did read that the only reason that Sapphire and Steel was cancelled because apparently it was massively successful. Mm. The only reason it was cancelled is because David McCallum and Joanna Lumley's schedules were so busy they just didn't have time to film another series. Right. She has such a charismatic presence that you are drawn to whatever it is that she does and she can hold your attention. They're incredibly stoic characters really, aren't they? They are. Even even Sapphire is very stoic. I mean she, she's a little bit more smiley than 
steel, but not by much. That's that's not difficult. (laughs) No. So this one, in most, probably in all of these, there is always one or more human characters that they have to interact with. And in this one, um, we have Alison Spiro playing Liz in this. Sarah Sugden from Emdale Farm. Oh, really? Oh, I, I... Well, I knew you wouldn't know this. Because I knew you wouldn't watch Emmerdale Farm. And we don't watch it, but Dad used to. Yeah, she, uh, to me she is Astrid in Birth of the Beatles. So here she is in some very dodgy negligee. Yes, doing some doing some great working class acting. <laughs> Her acting never improved. I would just like to say that right now. Oh, that's a shame. Mm. I'm going to be generous and say I feel she's being hampered by having to do a working class accent. And the writer, PJ Hammond, I think... He's a very good writer, but the working class dialogue is very scripted. It's not really how people speak. No, it isn't. It's how screenwriters think that working class people speak. What about the new landlord? Ah, he's marvellous. Well, he doesn't bother me. He doesn't even ask for his rent. I just leave it on the top of the stairs when I feel like it. All right, so he can't be earning much. Well, he wouldn't, would he, if he never opened the shop? man who earns his living in a shop that's never open? Well, maybe he's waiting. Waiting? What for? Oh, I don't know. Do some work on the place. Get rid of the ghosts. Ghosts? Yeah! So, yes, she turns up as, like, the person that can be in peril. Yes. And the audience identification figure. Somebody we can... We have a human, essentially. We do have a human, and she is actually really, really not very likeable at all. She just seems to be... Arsy for the sake of being arsy. <laughs> She's a bit uh, perturbed at having these two people suddenly barge into her room. I mean, that's understandable. Yes. They never say who they are. She kind of goes along with it eventually. She does cheer up. She never asks who they are and they never tell her who they are. I, I, I'm sitting there thinking she probably just assumed they're the CID. Yeah. The thing that annoys me about Liz mm. is that her roommate and her landlord have both been missing for several months. Even though, apparently, as the story goes on, she says that Ruth is her only friend, her best friend. The only friend she's ever had. The only friend she's ever had, etc. She's been missing for months and she's not tried to look for her. She's not tried to contact the police. She When, when Sapphire and Steele say that Ruth is missing, she's like, well, it's never been confirmed that she's actually missing, even though she's quite clearly not there. And has left all of her stuff there. So she is missing. Her lack of... I have written, apparently her BFF went missing months ago and hasn't taken any clothes or been in contact. But she's not really worried about her, which I think is pathologically unfeeling. Well, I think I liked Liz more than you did anyway. I think you, I think you probably, I think everybody probably did, apart from Steele. I think Steele and I are there just being grumpy and hating everybody, and you and Sapphire are there just giving everybody the benefit of the doubt. You and Steele are cut from the same cloth, really, aren't you? I, I think I think we are. You and I are probably Sapphire and Steele, but the other way round. <laughs> I liked the line when the um, mysterious new landlord tells the Victorian urchins about these new people arriving, and one of the one of the girls says, "Ooh, can we hurt them?" Yeah, I know, I wrote that. And then I wrote, I hate children. (laughs) You're definitely the misanthrope of the podcast. (laughs) 
I've I've never tried to hide that. <laughs> you haven't, have you? <laughs> Quite proudly misanthropic. You're the world's jolliest misanthrope. I really am. <laughs> I hate people, but I'm really happy about it. You're uh, merry, I'll give you that. The chap that they're talking to is like, uh, no, you can't, because that's weird. Um, but then the camera pans up to him, and it turns out the man actually doesn't have a face. He's a René Magritte-style no-face, isn't he? He is. I am terrified. Yeah, that's the then end the of you. Then the credits roll up, so we go on to part two. Yes, how are you finding it so far? Scared. 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 Excellent. I mean, th- this is the idea. This is the... I am sort of glad I didn't watch it at the time, although it would have made some good memories, I think. It would have given you nightmares. It would have given me nightmares. I would still be having nightmares about it. I'd have been frit out of my noggin. You would have been frit out of your noggin. I think this is more effective for being entirely set in the studio and shot on video. I like that claustrophobia. I think if they did outside shots, there's no establishing shots. There's no location shots. No on film or anything like that uh the only time you see the outdoors is the backyard where the victorian children congregate but that is a studio set as well and it's always in the dark and it's the world's smallest yard yeah and it feels very indoorsy and in that studio way so it 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 has that very kind of theatrical feel where you're just like right we're settling in for this we're not going to go anywhere else it's all just set in this one location and i think that works really well makes it a bit mesmeric the reason that i am so scared is just the fact that you don't see the man's face and i just i couldn't i couldn't even look at the television when the faceless thing was there and it's a shame because um the when he does have a face the the mm. younger chap has got a lovely face. Philip Bird. Yeah, I wrote down that there's something of the Neil Innes about him. Yes, there is something of the Neil Innes about his face, yes. Yeah, he looks like a friendly fellow. An, a nice friendly face. If, if there's two things that are kind of archetypally eerie and creepy, it's old photographs and people with no faces. Yes. So and this has got Children chanting nursery rhymes. Yeah, this has got the whole... It's got the whole gamut. The whole kit, kit and caboodle. I still haven't seen any of the other assignments, but I would imagine this is probably the scariest one. Look, will somebody mind telling me what's wrong? Do you have somewhere else to stay? No. Then you'd better find somewhere. Now, just a minute. I happen to live here, and I happen to be getting ready for work when you lot arrived. Hey, listen... Just quietly minding my own business when you lot come busting in. I like that they get to rooms long before she gets to rooms, so they will leave a room at approximately the same sort of time and then she'll rush across the whole building to the next room and they'll have been in that room for quite a long time already. And that's done quite subtly. It's not really highlighted. It's just like, oh yeah, she's just left that room and now she's running and she's still talking to them, but they're miles ahead now. Sapphire seems to be the one with all of the powers. Steel just seems be to bit narky. be grumpy. He does open a door at one point, but that's pretty much about yeah. all he does. She does seem to be the one who can do stuff yeah and i found that in the in the other assignment that i saw she was the one who was doing things he went really cold at one point in the first assignment that was all that happened so i'm not 100 percent sure what his powers are meant to be <laughs> feeling chilly i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure what they are like maybe maybe they are humans but maybe they're just superhumans or, or are they aliens or are they i don't know no we never know i think that's kind of that's deliberately left kind of opaque they do have a psychic link though liz mentions the fact that when when she's a she's alone with steel and sapphire's off doing something else and Liz comments like, oh, you can't do anything, can you? It's her that does all the stuff. He's bothered by her taste in generic funk music. Well, understandably. 
<laughs> she just listened to really generic library music. Yes. But he can't... Sapphire turned it off using her mind, but he can't turn it off. He just has to sit there and take it. And she says to him, like, you can't do anything, can you? She does all the things. To be honest, I like the fact that Steele doesn't like the music because David McCallum is a classically trained musician. Oh, right. His father was a very famous conductor, not on a bus of an actual orchestra. <laughs> In fact, Dave McCallum released three albums during the 60s. Wow. I know. Blimey. I, I have all three. I mean, a, a lot of them were actual... Some of them were his own compositions that he actually conducted himself. A lot of them were, like, cover, cover versions of... You know, a, a bit like the Leonard Nimoy albums. Right, okay. That kind of thing. Bit of a combination of the two. But, yeah. We have the line, Mr. Williamson was a very clean man. I know, I I got that too. <laughs> He's very clean. <laughs> Hello, Grandfather. <laughs> He's a nice old man, isn't he? He's very clean. So we have a rare joke here. He was standing there, right there, and there was nothing wrong with him. There was nothing odd about him. He was as normal as you and me. Well, me anyway. Oh, that was a joke. That was a joke, yeah. Yeah, and Steele looks quite put out. There is another moment where I note Steele looks really put out, <laughs> but I think it's in the next episode. Right, okay, yes, well, it, we'll get yes, there. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I'll 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 come back to that. There's a looped screaming sound here, which is quite bothersome. Oh, God. And no. it, re- it reappears again at the end. Yeah, that's quite horrible, quite disturbing. Yeah, it freaked, it freaked me the hell out. Yeah, I did not like that at all. And um, the lights flash and stuff starts breaking and then a wind machine gets turned on so everybody's hair and clothes start billowing all over the place. Sapphire suddenly looks like she's in a Kate Bush video. The man without a face with a face briefly appears and he's like, why should I hide? But you've seen my face, 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 but you've seen my face. But you've seen my face. I'm scared. I just scared myself. Um, but Steed wants, Steel wants to know who, what the real shape of the thing looks like. Um, I would have loved it if Steed was in this. Wouldn't it have been much better? It would be so much more reassuring if John It would have been a lot more fun. Sapphire can't bring the, the shape out of itself and she's visibly exhausted by the effort of whatever it is that she's been trying to do and when she's like i'm really sorry i can't do it you're sorry (laughs) instead of being all like oh do you know what i know that you tried and i can see that you're in quite a state now he's just like huh sorry well sorry's not good enough i'm sorry i can't do anymore there was a a barrier i'm sorry you're sorry? What do you mean you're sorry? You almost had it. I mean, he was... He was... Oh, well, at least we know what it is. We haven't seen it yet, but we know what it is, so let's try and find it. Well, come on. My note was that she needs to report him to HR because that's not professional behaviour. That's, that's grounds for a disciplinary. Whatever it is has been trapped in every single photo ever taken, ever. Yes. And he can hop between photos. So it's very difficult to sort of pinpoint him because as soon as you find him, he can hop into another photo. And I love the fact that he's always a half-seen figure. Yes. 
or even not a seen figure at all. Yeah, he's like, like behind a fence. He could or... be in a building. Yeah. That's in a photo, so you don't see him at all. I know exactly who he is on the Abbey Road album cover. Please don't tell me because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really not okay. <laughs> poor you, poor Heather. I'm really not okay. I'm just, I'm so scared talking about it. I don't like it. <laughs> no. So yeah, every photo he's in, you can't really see him, and then. We see him turn around in one photo while the children are doing their creepy laughing. In fact, I'm just going to read my notes out here. We see Faceless Man turn around in one photo while children laugh. It's really creepy and I don't like it. Pretty much. Yeah, that sums it up. And then the parasol girl threatens Sapphire with the point of her parasol. Oh, yeah. She's got it right close to her eye. And they start chanting the nursery rhyme again. Health and safety. Much as I really enjoy, for like nostalgic reasons, the special effects of the day, I also can't help but wonder how great it would look with modern special effects where it would be a lot more seamless because him turning around inside a photograph is very obviously a CSO effect, a bit of blue screen. It suits the era very well, but it doesn't convince as a, a man inside a photograph. So it would be lovely to see this kind of thing done with the sort of effects you can do now where it would be seamless and he would look like somebody it would look like a genuine moving piece of a yeah, photograph you really haven't reckoned on my suspension of disbelief <laughs> no this is true and also the no the no face makeup effect he's his absence of face is very very large obviously to because it's a um, prosthetic so he's got to have his real face behind it whereas now you could just use cg to mask to blur out his features and his creator yeah please don't put that in my head adam sorry no i'll, I'll stop talking there <laughs> so anyway that's that's the end of part two and we go on to part three sapphire grabs the parasol and scrunches it up because it turns it turns out it's just paper everything's paper yeah everything's made Children out of paper, paper because everything's just photos and then she threatens to scrunch the kids up too. I mean, she doesn't say that. Yeah. But she says paper children and then steps towards them and they know. They know what she means. And I wish she had. This actually does happen at the end of the episode. I'm jumping about a bit, but um, Liz, at the end of the episode, encounters the Victorian children and there's a, a cute little boy and she feels sorry for him. So she gives him a hug, but he just, he crumbles and collapses because he's made out of... Actually, it looks like polystyrene, but yeah, he's very brittle cardboard. He's just a, he a just, big cardboard cutout. He disintegrates in her arms, and it's full of these sort of quite unexpected, surreal moments, which I like. Yeah, that was a really good moment. And honestly, all all the things like that I can cope with, and I'm fine with. It's just, it's the no face. I just can't. Yeah. It, I can't tell you how scary it is for me. Crikey. Anyway, they finally come face to face with the man without a face. It's very interesting that David McCallum sees the younger man mm. and she sees the older man. They can't really trust anything that they see. He can hear their telepathic thoughts as well. So he speaks to them telepathically. And so they say, well, we'll just use our, our real voices. And then Sapphire says, let's use our real faces as well. These are ours, the only ones we possess, I'm afraid. And when <laughs> she says that, steel gives her such a filthy look like what the hell are you saying i'm beautiful i don't know what you're talking about what other face would i want have you seen me <laughs> steel asks for the people to be returned from the photograph that they're trapped in because they discover that lizzie's roommate ruth and the landlord mr williamson 
are trapped in a They're photograph and inside have been a trapped photograph, in a photograph yeah. by the man without a face. And he wants them to be returned before they send the thing back to whence he came. The man then escapes into a photo and then jumps into another one as soon as he's been discovered. And so Steele's instant reaction is, well, why don't we just destroy every single photo that's in here? And Sapphire's like, well, that's a silly idea because actually it'd be more than old photos in here. It's every single photo ever that's been taken ever in the history of photographs. And so Steele's reaction is to throw all the photos down in a strop. He's just so angry. He's just the right like constant. He's never less angry. He's sometimes more angry, but he's never less angry. He's never less angry. Liz asks what's going on. I wish someone would explain because I'm baffled. Sapphire says she's hoping Ruth will explain when they talk to her. And as you say, then, Liz states the obvious. You can't talk to a photo. But nobody can talk. No, she doesn't talk like that, does she? Here. Here, nobody Here. can talk to a photo and get an answer. No, Yeah, that's not possible. If you reckon that Ruth is stuck in some picture... Then how are you going to talk to her? You'll see. But nobody can talk to a photograph and get an answer. Special subject, the bleeding obvious. Meanwhile, Steele has set the dark room up and is continuing to look sexy and grumpy doing it. <laughs> Sapphire explains that they're ghosts before death, not after, which doesn't make any sense either. I guess, I guess it means that they're not ghosts because ghosts are always people that have died. So they're not ghosts in that sense, but they're, they're reflections of living people rather than reflections of the dead. Oh, I see. I see. I'm with you now. Then they finally start speaking to Ruth. Sapphire starts speaking to Ruth. And Ruth says that all she can think of is a nursery rhyme because that's all that anybody can think of in this episode. And the rhyme goes, Yesterday upon the stair, I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. I wish, I wish he'd stay away. And then at this time, the kids and the man without a face who hasn't got a face at this stage all appear on the stairs. Steel rolls his eyes. Sapphire tells Ruth she'll be all right, and no sooner has she told Ruth that she'll be all right, but the man with no face burns the photo. And she's very much not all right. Killing Ruth and Mr Williamson, and then he turns Sapphire into a cardboard cutout. Yeah. <sighs> it's very intense. We're up, to, we're up to part four now, yeah. Up to part four. And uh, the first thing Steele says in this episode is, that's the second time you failed. So he's such a, leg- a legendary motivational speaker. <laughs> he really is. They tell her to go somewhere, anywhere that isn't where she is. And Liz says that Ruth is the, is the best and only friend she's ever had. And she doesn't collect friends easily. Which is unsurprising with an attitude like that. But then he appears in Liz's mirror while she's getting ready. Like the faceless version... And the Two Faces version. I missed that bit. I was maybe writing a note at the time. I missed that. Oh, it was it was a very that sounds like the best moment. bit. Oh yeah, man, she she's there getting ready in the mirror, and then the faceless man appears sort of over her face, which freaks her out. But How did then I miss over this? her shoulder, uh, both of the faces of the younger man and the older man. What? Yeah. How did How you did miss, I miss this? this? This is the best bit. Oh, Adam, you got to go and rewatch it. Oh, start again. Start the whole thing again. My giddy aunt. Uh, It was a very scary moment. My favourite scene is the scene when Sapphire and Steele are sorting through Williamson's darkroom, his photographic lab, and they realise that he's actually been making photographic montages. And they are furious! Well, Steele is furious. They're both quite 
dismayed. My my note is shockingly, he is very grumpy about it. <laughs> A few cheap tricks to impress the ladies. Well, at least he bothered to impress them. Oh, Sapphire. Pow. Zing. Zowie. That's his gas put at a peep. But yes, he's been messing time about because he's been mixing up different slides and putting them together. Steele invents a, a new tongue twister here. He combined pictures of people with pictures of places. He's combining pictures of people and pictures of places. Pictures of people and pictures of places. Um, so yes, he's been doing photo tricks with a kaleidoscope. It's all very 1970s music video. And exactly like the credits of Series 4 of The Sweeney. Oh, really? Yeah, it's Victorian children superimposed against tower blocks and there's like a car and all the, the tints and the black and white photographs are slightly different colours. And they look really cool. But they do look um, really cool. Sapphire is not impressed by this at all. She says, they never learn, do they? Which is harsh, I think, because like... They don't know, so of course they're not going to learn. How many people... Yeah, how many people making photographic montages are aware of the inherent hazards of this and in fact they then contradict themselves sometime later when Steele says there was no way he could have known he was manufacturing an instrument of such power well make your mind up either they never learn or there's no way he could have known I mean there's no way he could have known that's the answer it's not really his fault all he was trying to do was impress a young lady he was just trying to impress Ruth and he's he's very clean. He's very clean. But I haven't got any stamps. But they're being really bitchy about Ruth curled up on the sofa and he's like yeah. got his slide projector out and <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> Show us your slides. <laughs> but I haven't got any slides. <laughs> There's quite a moment of I think I think the term I'm looking for is bathos. Steele says to Sapphire. He imprisoned them in a photograph and then burned them alive. That must never happen again. And in the next moment, Sapphire and Steele are instantly trapped in a photo. Dull. <laughs> Yikes. Quayayana. <laughs> oh dear. Um, and then the man from No Face uh, goes to see the kids and asks where to put the photograph of Saf- Sapphire and Steele. And the creepy girl says, can we play games now? Can we play games with them? Why are children so sinister? What's wrong with them? It's a whole horror subgenre as the they fear are, of they, children. They are sinister and also sticky. <laughs> sticky. <laughs> <laughs> they they are. They always have sticky hands and sticky faces. Like what what do they do? Do they just like roll in golden syrup? I just don't It's just their obsession with sweets. Yeah, children are weird. <laughs> so in order to get out of the photograph, they decide to that what they have to do, since they're not able to summon Liz to come and help them, is they have to make a mirror with their minds and they have to try and channel both... Is it silver and lead? Silver and mercury. Silver and mercury, that's right. So what is the fantasy equivalent of technobabble? Because if this was science fiction, that would be technobabble. It's one of those situations where there is no actual real-world kind of light bulb moment of how to get out of this situation it, it all hinges upon doing something hand wavy so in a science fiction show it's like ah we'll we'll wire it, the image generator up to the output oscillator and i'll 
feedback the power amplitude and all that kind of stuff but of course this is a magical fantasy show so it's 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 whatever the equivalent of technical techno babble is we'll we'll create a mirror with our minds it's like the audience are thinking oh of course why didn't we think of that yes the shape arrives and threatens them with a lighter oh yeah he makes them hot and they go hot 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 but before he can you know set fire to them liz finally does something useful and goes into the basement and this is sort of like the an antithesis moment to the usual horror trope of going into a basement and meeting certain doom she actually goes into the basement and and saves people's lives yeah she ends up having a conversation with sapphire and steel while they're stuck in a photograph yeah we have more loot more looped screaming and this is even more disturbing this time than it was the first time i know this this was a really really scary episode we need something to keep him in genie in a bottle well let's find the bottle says he will he will get out of his prison uh, at some point and when he does she can't hide from him because all of the photographs belong to him and paper burns nothing lasts only me which is really horrible and he basically threatens that when he is finally released he will find a photograph of her and burn it and thus killing her in a very horrible way but sapphire and steel say don't worry about it because there is a ship that is about to be wrecked in 12 minutes and we're going to go and leap on it and throw the prism on there so that it will get trapped in in ice for 75 years and then after 75 years it's fine we'll find it and find another ship and we'll trap it on another ship don't worry about it we've got nothing else to do that's pretty much the end isn't it yeah things have been sorted out through reasons yeah but it works it works i think it's um yeah, I think it's good. I think it's good. Mm. I mean, it's well I, I think made. it's terrifying, but I think it's good. <laughs> this is Hauntology Squared because it's a programme about hauntology. So the eerie resonance that old vintage objects and photographs have. But it's in that early 80s setting, which we now look back on as being like the prime moment of hauntology and hauntological creation and that kind of thing so it, it it kind of embodies the whole thing in fact it's it's kind of concentrated hauntology so out of everything even more possibly than children of the stones or the owl service which are hauntological in themselves but mm. this has that extra element of dealing with vintage objects as well and vintage photographs mm. Very much so. And I forgot to mention when I was um, doing The Nightmare Man with Hannah, I did the list of shows that were around in 1981. And the richness of cult fantastical TV that we had in 1981. So we had The Nightmare Man, we had the season 18 of Doctor Who, season four of Blake Seven, Day of the Triffids, series two of The Adventure Games, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But I did forget to mention we also had Sapphire and Steel. It's an embarrassment of Richards. That was that. That was Sapphire and Steel. Mm. How do you feel that um, Assignment 4 compared to Assignment 1? Assignment 4 was a lot scarier. Yes. I think there were quite a lot of similarities, though, because Mm. there was a a huge emphasis placed on the importance of nursery rhymes in how time managed to leap through the cracks in 
the corridor of time. But yeah, no, Assignment 4 was way scarier. I think Assignment 1 was nice, was creepy, but the the nice side of creepy. Mm. But no, Assignment 4 just leapt over. This may be unique or certainly very unusual in as much as it originally started out as a children's programme. That's what it was designed as, and that's why the the human protagonists in it are children. And then it jumped track, so for the remaining five assignments, it was then a grown-up adult show, which is why it's a lot darker and stranger and more unsettling. Yes. Um, but, I, yeah, I don't know how many shows have specifically jumped from starting out as a children's show and has immediately gone on to be an adult show. Did you have a favourite and least favourite character? Well, I mean, obviously... I, I... Obviously, my favourite character was Steel. Of course. Because he's very grumpy. He doesn't care about anybody. Maybe apart from Sapphire, but only maybe apart from Sapphire. He barely tolerates her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I identify with I identify with Steel an awful lot. Probably who your least favourite character is. <laughs> I, I probably don't need too many guesses. I, I don't know, because <laughs> a lot like Steel... Didn't have a lot of time for any of the other characters. Um, I think, apart from Sapphire, I, I really didn't like Liz. I obviously was terrified of the man without a face mm-hmm. and the creepy children. Um, so they were all sort of amalgamation of my worst possible characters. It's very difficult to choose one out of out of that. Um, I think I think because of the physical the physical presence and my lifelong phobia, I think the man without a face is my worst character because he's the one who's going to give me nightmares certainly the most irritating character was liz yes despite how how annoying liz was for you uh and i didn't mind her at all really i know i know but you're you're a lot nicer than i am <laughs> i'm not a grumpy aficionado in the way that you are i like pleasant easy going people, people yeah and so I, I i would rather hang out with sapphire than i would hang out with steel um so favorite and least favorite aspect or moment or bit the man without a face just my worst just just i can't even begin to tell you how traumatized i am because now i've had to watch it twice the the creepy tone was fine i like i liked that i liked that but i just think the man without a face was just too much for me specifically favorite element probably steel so exactly the same as characters then yeah will you be watching the remaining four oh, assignments yeah. absolutely okay. I mean, there's, there's no question there, but I certainly will not be watching Assignment 4 ever again as long as I live. I may, in fact, watch the railway station one after we've finished recording and not feel quite so scared. Um, yeah, you can but... de- decontaminate. Thank you, everybody, for uh, tuning in for yet another episode of RetroTube. It's been... It's been a roller coaster this week. I I would like to say it's been a lot of fun, and it 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 kind of has been. But also, I'm going to need some serious therapy. <laughs> if you would like to get in touch with us at any point, you're more than welcome to. Our Twitter account is at retro underscore tube, or if you'd like to send us something a little bit longer than 280 characters, you can do. Uh, our email address is retrotubepodcast at gmail.com and we are always happy to hear from people and we're really good at getting back to you as well. Next week is my turn again and I'm not, because we've decided for this series somehow that we're not going to tell you what is next, we're just going to give you a little clue. And so my clue is quite obvious and it is you won't like me when I'm angry. Ooh. 
it's a goodbye from me and what's your final word adam they never learn do they mm-hmm.